Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. That's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash voices in my head. Give it a try today. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, a songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is where I discuss music, movies, books, pop culture, theology, and more with friends, colleagues, and sometimes just by myself. Now make sure to let me know what you think of today's episode by leaving me a review on iTunes or by tweeting at me, at Rick Lee James on Twitter. And please join my mailing list at rickleejames.com, where you can receive an email every time a new episode is released. And by the way, in case you're interested in a daily dose of kindness and encouragement beyond this podcast, I also run the Twitter account, at Mr. Rogers Say, where I post daily quotes from Fred Rogers, one of the voices in my head. Well, I guess that's it for the intro, so sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of Voices in My Head. In 2014, a staggering 46.5 million Americans did not have enough food in the home, including 12 million children and 7 million seniors. CityServe International co-founders Dave Donaldson and Wendell Vinson believe that's tragic in one of the most prosperous nations in the world. Both men are on a mission to revolutionize and mobilize local churches, businesses, and governments to become agents of transformation in their communities. While they recognize food as one area of desperate need, they acknowledge that many people face unmet spiritual, mental, and social needs. In the new book, CityServe, Your Guide to Church-Based Compassion, Donaldson and Vinson have compiled the models, principles, and strategies used by organizations and leaders across the country to equip the local church and everyday reader to better serve their communities. Dave Donaldson is the co-founder and chairman for CityServe International, and he's my guest today on the show. Dave Donaldson, welcome to Voices in My Head. Great. Thank you, Rick. A joy to be with you today. As we begin, uh, you have really kind of a no kind of about it. It is a heartbreaking personal childhood story uh, that really has to do with the loss of a parent and a very difficult time that you went through. But it has a lot to do with your story and the type of person that you've become along the way. I wonder if as we begin today, would you mind just telling us a little bit uh, about that? Sure. My dad uh, and mom were pastors in Northern California, and I was nine years of age at the time. And one hot August evening, uh, they were driving on the freeway, in fact, not close to where I'm standing right now. And a drunk driver slid across the divide and hit their car head on. Mm. Uh, My dad was killed instantly. Our mother survived, but they literally had to pin her body back together again for her to survive. And, and Rick, I recall uh, going to the hospital 
with my two brothers and peering through the glass into, into her room. And she was so beaten up and broken, we didn't even recognize her. In fact, when she spoke my older brother's name and he was standing right beside me, he collapsed to the ground because of the trauma. And so there we were, uh, three uh, young boys, and we also have a a younger sister. And we're wondering, where are we going to get food and clothing and who's going to possibly take in four young kids? And the community responded to our cries. And they brought us food, clothing uh, for near, nearly six months as our mother uh, fought to, you know, get back on her feet. Sure. And then obviously, you know, the big question, who's going to take in four kids? And uh, at first there, there was not a long line of people waiting, uh, but this family named the Davises that didn't have much. Uh, they didn't have a big bank account. Uh, they lived in a single wide trailer. And they took us in. And I talk about the power of with, that four-letter word that changed our lives and then eventually launched Convoy of Hope and now City Serve. Because when we entered that trailer, and we were scared. You know, we, we wondered, would this be another stop along the way? Would they really want us and keep us? And so we, we shuffled in, and Bill Davis gave us hugs. And, and this is what he said. He said, you are with family and this is your home Mm. and and what that meant to us is that they they were willing to not only share their space but to invite into their home our sorrow our anger and our pain and so uh from that from these people responding to us with compassion uh, we wanted to help other families as we had been helped well, I first want to say I'm so sorry for your loss and what a profound effect that would have on anyone's life. And I'm, I'm so sorry you went through that, especially as a child. Uh, and I also want to say thank God for the Davis family and uh, for people like them that, that were so uh, good to take care of you. And what a beautiful way that we see the church being the church in those times and communities coming together. So thank you for, for sharing that story. I really appreciate that. I, I'd love for you, if you could, uh, bring us up to the present a little bit. Tell us, tell us about you and your family today. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, my wife and I live here in the Bay Area of California, and uh, the book "City Serve: Your Guide to Church-Based Compassion." It talks about how we've launched this model in both Southern California, but we're looking to replicated here in Northern Cal. Uh, it's already been launched in Arkansas. Uh, my, uh, our oldest daughter is a doctor, a mm. pediatric doctor in Los Angeles Children's Hospital. The uh, second oldest daughter uh, that I write about in the book, her name's Barbara, and we uh, met her as a result of hosting the first ever summit for foster care and adoption in Washington, D.C., I was asked by the White House under the Bush administration to put that on. And uh, that's a great story in itself, yeah. uh, how we ended up becoming foster parents and and, and the adoptive or forever families. And then Barbara uh, graduated from Evangel with honors, and she's getting married uh, next year. And then our son is a worship leader 
at uh, a great church in the Central Valley, and then our youngest is still in college in Springfield, Missouri, at Evangel University. Wow, wow, that's that's quite a family uh, family you've got there. Thank you for sharing a little bit of their story with us too. And it sounds like a lot of them are are really uh, still loving the Lord and the way that you've brought them up and serving and. That's just wonderful. You don't always get to hear that, so I'm so glad to hear that story today. And family. and and mo- I I should say most importantly, my wife, who I call not my better half, but my better two thirds, <laughs> and 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 she's from a place where very few missionaries would dare to go. And I'm not talking about uh, North Korea. I'm talking about North Dakota. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> That's so it's a, a little little cold there right now, but uh, but we we've been married now over uh, 35 years, so wow. it's been a great journey. That's terrific, and I'm sure North Dakota is one of those places that has like two seasons, like you know August and winter, and that's about that's probably about all they have, I imagine. Yeah, the so. well the theme theme song is uh, the cattle and the wheat and the folks that can't be beat. Yeah, and there's uh, there's a lot of truth to that great people well that's terrific well thanks for just letting us in a little bit on your family life and it's so good to hear about that i i want to hear and, and i want you to be able to share today your heart uh, about city serve and its mission so let, let's just start there with the the, the founding of, of city serve and kind of how the lord laid this whole thing upon your heart there's so many really stories in ways that God leads somebody to found an organization or a business or a church. For me, I already shared the story of our community helping us get on our feet. Uh, But another example of that is I was asked to speak at a church and the pastor went up to the podium and I thought he was going to introduce me, but instead he resigned from the church. Oh my. And to make matters worse, my sermon topic or title was never quit, never (laughs) give up. (laughs) And and so afterwards, we had lunch, and I asked him what happened. And he said that uh, the board had told him, pastor, pastor the church, not the community. Hmm. And so he said, I'm just overcome with the problems in my church and my community. And so I'm leaving. And that's a tragedy, Rick, is that many pastors feel outgunned. Uh, They feel like the problems in their communities are so uh, diverse and complex that it's overwhelming, that they can't make a difference. But we are helping through CityServe to help these pastors become what I call appendextrous, where on the one hand, they are caring for their flocks. But on the other hand, they're taking their rightful and responsible seat of influence in their communities. Hmm. And so we are empowering the local church to live out the gospel of Jesus by leading their communities and bringing healing to brokenness. And we train them in 10 different areas right out of Scripture, everything from hunger, homelessness, you know, the addicted, uh, jobless, widows, the orphans, exploited. And so part of that strategy is that we partner with World Vision and churches such as the Assembly of God, SoCal Network, but hundreds of churches. And we have warehouse hubs in Fresno, Fowler, 
Bakersfield, which was a former Montgomery Wards, now it's a center of hope, uh, the Anaheim area, high desert, San Diego, and from these big warehouse hubs that are filled with product donated by companies, we're able to channel that into the hands of local neighborhood churches that are meeting the needs of their communities. And just over this past year, we have been able to distribute through this system over $20 million of new product to help families that have needs. I mean, I spoke at a church in Fresno, and and a lady came up to me afterwards, a single mom, and she said, I want to thank you because my church here, in partnership with CityServe, was able to provide beds for my kids. My kids have been have been sleeping on the floor. Hmm. Well, as a result of that bed, she said, each night when I see my kids on that bed, it reminds me of a church that cares and a Jesus that cares. And so she committed her life to Christ. And now uh, Melissa and her family are in that church, and they're helping other uh, single moms you know, cope with the challenges. Wow, that's that's a terrific story, and that's just one of many that you you have to tell uh, through the work that CityServe has done. So these warehouses are are located in numerous places, and I think a lot of people don't realize what a need there really is in their communities. And so many people will show up on church doorsteps looking for help, and and churches just don't have infinite resources and so I, I love the way that you're helping to enable churches to to meet a real needs in the communities with this work um, do, what are some of the um, the things that you have found maybe most challenging uh, when it comes to doing a work like this first it's changing the mindset that it's okay for a church to outsource compassion to a national nonprofit or the government. Hmm. Now, I've been a nonprofit leader for 30 years, starting with Operation Blessing at CBN and Convoy of Hope and now CityServe. And there are some wonderful nonprofit organizations that are truly committed to being para-church, to supporting the local church in its neighborhood. But too many have become parallel, where they're actually competing with the church. And that's a tragedy, because the church has, is, has the greatest potential for providing a holistic transformation and discipleship and family to people that are coming out of, you know, brokenness. Mm-hmm. Secondly, you know, I worked in Washington, D.C. for 10 years, uh, tied to the whole faith-based community initiative and now working closely with this administration on both sides of the aisle. And it's tragic that we are really abdicating our responsibility to government. Hmm. Now, there are wonderful people in government. There are some godly people that are strategically placed all throughout those government agencies. But Hebrews 11 says that faith is the evidence of things hoped for. What that means is that the root system of hope is faith. You're not going to have true, lasting uh, hope that's durable and transformative without faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. But government, government, I think, well-meaningly is trying to provide hope without faith, and that doesn't work because that is the role of the church. 
the role of the church. But, but what's happened is that leaders in our communities that God has called to be spiritual leaders are, it's kind of like the game of musical chairs. Mm. And God has destined for leaders to have a seat at the table. But what's happening is uh, that seat is getting filled out of default. Because leaders are not taking their rightful and responsible place. And then they curse the wind out of anger that, hey, my community's falling apart. Hmm. Yeah, well, those are excellent points. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I do see that as, as a person very active in my local church. And it seems like I'll hear a couple of different things. I'll hear people say, well, we shouldn't rely on... The government take care of the poor, but then at the same time, sometimes the same people who say that I see doing nothing to help the poor. <laughs> and uh, it's like you just said, it seems like by default, because maybe because the church isn't doing it, the government is, and maybe the other way around as well. Um, and, and a lot of people do think that churches have the responsibility um, to do the things that we have sometimes now expected the government to do. In your experience, though, can how can the church best serve the communities and, and work more effectively alongside say like local businesses and local government because they are they are different things but that really doesn't mean we we can't work with them what are some suggestions that you might have uh, in helping churches facilitate working together well one of the best is to buy the book yeah <laughs> <laughs> City Serve, City right. Serve, your guide to church-based compassion, because it's you know 340 pages addressing your question, your great question. Mm. But one of the the chapters among many that I love, it's it's how to know your community before you fix it. And Jesus said, "Look upon the fields." So know your community, and then He sent forth workers. And so we work with churches to, you know, prioritize the needs that they want to tackle. And that's what's great about Compassion Ministry. It's scalable. You don't need to take everything on. And But we've got to help churches develop this compassion muscle. Mm. Uh, Rick, you know, as you know, we, you, know you can't go from running a 50-yard dash to a 5K. And so we help these churches start with meeting the needs of their neighbors through this donated product and then perhaps taking on like foster care or, you know, a, you know, dealing with the addicted a marriage and family. There's great organizations you can partner with, like focus on the family. And so that's where you start to really develop that strategic plan and priorities and then Look for models. You know, part of the reason why we wrote this book is that there's an abundance of proven models that are available out there. Hmm. You know, that are, but right now they're hidden, siloed, or lost because there hasn't been a system to search and discover and then disseminate these models to equip churches. Well, this book and our website has a lot of these models, and we're going to keep populating. Uh, our website with those, uh, again, scalable, proven models that churches can adopt and start there and celebrate it. You know, it comes down to this. If, If we're outsourcing compassion, 
if we think that just by giving, you know, you know, monthly to sponsor a child, which is great, but if we think that that's enough, then we're missing out on being blessable, hmm. on experiencing all that God wants to experience. Because he says, if you help the poor, you help the needy, I will bless all the works of your hands, hmm. all of the works of your hands. And for the church, we need to do a rebranding yeah. of Christianity and where we're seeing by what we're, we're doing, what we're for, not just what we're all against. Hmm. We are for helping single parents and, and manage all the challenges of raising their children while working. We are for helping families like yours, Rick, that, hmm. that have suffered the loss of, you know, of, uh, you know, infants, hmm. you know, being there you know, to provide, you know, the grief counseling and, and care. We're there to provide training to help people get jobs. And we're help we're there to help kids that are caught in this foster care system find forever families. I can go on and on, but that's gotta be what the world sees. And Jesus said that let your light shine. Let your good deeds be seen so that people will glorify your Father in heaven. Well, and, and I, I also want to echo this for everyone listening. Uh, getting the book is a great resource and a great start, and we will have uh, links on our website at VoicesInMyHeadPodcast.com uh, where you can go and find out more information. And uh, that that's a, a great first step. And I, I just wanted to remind listeners, yes, get that book. But I, I know also one of the ways that you challenge churches is by confronting them with this question. You ask, are you a church who plays it safe or are you a church who takes risks? And I wanted to ask you, based upon your experience, because you have been to a lot of churches and you've seen a lot of things, which category do you think most churches in the United States that you've come across fall into? Do you see them more as, as risk takers, uh, caretakers, or undertakers? I think uh, right now most are somewhere between undertakers and caretakers, hmm. but that's changing. Yeah. And what's happening is that pastors, uh, lay leaders are realizing that the health of their church is not measured by how much is in the offering, you know, or even how many people are in the pew week after week. It's, based on their community engagement. Hmm. And one of the leaders who wrote a great chapter in the book, Rich Guerra, uh, who's over all the churches in SoCal for the Assemblies of God, he has totally reframed all of that hmm. uh, for leaders that you may have a church of 30 or 40. You may have a church of 3,000, but your church should be known not by its size, not by its ethnicity, but by its community engagement. Yeah. And so in the book, I walk through how to do that, how to become what I call a for-profit leader and church. And when I say profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, mm -hmm. for-profit. And so I literally walk through the steps on how a church and a leader and become a for-profit leader and become a community-engaging church. And when that happens, you can't help but grow. If you meet the needs of your community, your church will be so what I call sticky. There's a lot of Velcro there. 
mean, mm. people will want to go and they will want to stay. They will want to reach out on behalf of Christ in that church. And I also love the chapter, the last one, which was written by Barry McGuire, you know, mm. who uh, the the owner of McGuire Wax and president now of McGuire Wax and an incredible soul winner that deeds doing deeds is great, but it's got to be both word and deed. Hmm. And that you know, just, he talks about how sharing a cup of water in Jesus name, you know, when it comes to like disaster response, that you know, that's all you can do many times. Yeah. Uh, but we also, you know, have to be very bold in sharing our faith, proclaiming our faith and word. But I'll tell you, I've been doing this a long time, and I've been responding also uh, with these organizations and churches to disasters. And let me give you an example of how powerful this can be. We were responding to Hurricane Sandy. And Convoy of Hope, we've always tried to use the local church as the staging area uh, to distribute emergency supplies. And so we're at a church. And a lot of people were there that had lost everything. And this single mom is there with her kids. And a news reporter asked her, is this your church that is helping you? And she replied, it is now. Oh, wow. Hmm. Well, that's a great testimony to have. And I, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're talking about the local churches, too, because um, – I guess the way I want to say it is a lot of local churches are not necessarily local churches in that a lot of churches are ministering to people not from their neighborhood. Uh, people often commute to their churches and their congregations don't always reflect the neighborhoods that they are actually in. Um, so I, I'd love to kind of pick your brain a little bit on this. Do you feel like local churches can become irrelevant in their neighborhoods partially because they don't understand the needs that their neighborhoods have? That is a great question. In Chapter 2, Wendell Benson, Pastor Wendell Benson, call, it's called Neighborhoods to Nations, so it's not either or. But he addresses your question, because mm. what's happened is mega churches are becoming more and more mega. Mm. And neighborhood churches are either stagnant or they're declining. And then many of those neighborhood buildings are becoming restaurants or grocery stores. And that's that's tragic. Mm. And because for many of the poor, the under-resourced, they may not have the transportation you know, to get to that mega church that's in the suburbs or, or wherever. And so we're, we're challenging uh, pastors of these larger churches uh, to take take under their wing these smaller neighborhood churches and to make them healthier and stronger so that they're not moving out. Uh, when I was at Operation Blessing, uh, we were helping the churches uh, that many of them were getting burned down in the South. And, I mean, you lived in the South. You may remember that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I remember going through a church that had been burned to the ground with the pastor. Mm. And it, it was really moving. Uh, he said to me that we made a decision that we were going to close shop and we were going to move out. And the community was so angry that some burned our church down. And so I'm with this pastor. We're walking through what was once a house of worship, 
where children were being taught. We walked into the nursery and there was a uh, burnt toys in the corner. And I took off my shoe and I threw it into that rubble. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, in biblical times, the shoe, it, it represented ownership, taking ownership. We see this in the book of Ruth. We see David, he, he threw his sandal towards Edom. And I said, Pastor, you and I are making a decision that this church is not moving out. but Rather, we're going to move in and yeah. take back what the enemy has stolen. And I looked over at, over at him, and he had tears streaming down his cheeks. And he mm. took off both shoes and threw it into the rubble. Wow. And, and so that's our call to these neighborhood churches that God has placed you there as it says in Isaiah 58, to rebuild the ancient ruins, to raise up the old, age-old foundations, and to become centers of hope. And we're calling these larger churches to not extract people from these smaller neighborhood churches, but to put their arms under them, yeah. grow them. And that's what Wendell Benson and his team have done there in the Central Valley. And they keep helping these smaller churches, even with their buildings. And uh, it is just multiplying uh, incredibly. Wow, that's terrific. I'm so glad to, to get to hear stories like that. And, you know, I think many of our churches often struggle when it comes to, say, local churches like that. And um, maybe from a lack of, again, understanding and, and maybe ownership, but I think sometimes it's also hard for churches to overcome multi-ethnic and multicultural boundaries. Sometimes a neighborhood changes, and, um, and, and sometimes the church hasn't as, as uh, time goes by. I wonder what you feel like some of the ways uh, could be that churches might be able to build relationships in these areas when it comes to sort of a, a different multi-ethnic and multicultural boundaries. You know, a funny thing is, I mean, for example, the church I'm speaking at this weekend, the pastor is, you know, a white Caucasian, you know, middle-aged guy. Mm -hmm. And, but the church is, is so multi-ethnic. Mm. And, and I think it, at the bottom line is not necessarily the authenticity of the, uh, the leader, but it's the people that make a decision that, that I'm going to live this out, a compassion evangelism each and every day. And I think it comes down to this, Rick. I think one, where we make a decision that we're going to be a compassionate person and compassion means to suffer with. Mm -hmm. And number one, it's, it's truly being empathetic as Jesus was. And I call it, you know, if you're just sympathetic, that's like itty bitty pity. It's, mm. That's not enough. Mm. And number two, it's, it's really listening and discovering the root issues or causes that people are coping with. Yeah. And three, that, that empathy leads to action. And that action is discipleship. We think of discipleship as just sitting in the corner with the Bible and walking somebody through it. That's great. You know, that obviously that's the staple of it, but it's also helping them deal, you know, with all of these issues that to them, you know, it, it's sinking them. Many of them just, they feel so trapped. 
my family going through that tragedy. You know, you, you, you can't even see the bottom. Mm. You've sunk below the bottom. Yeah. But people help you see that there is a path uh, to freedom and hope in Christ. And then you commit to that process. You commit to it for as long as it takes. Mm. And then you help that person, you know, just receive the Lord. Yeah. But also to make sure that they know how to craft their testimony and that, you know, they're they're keeping that going, that what I call that revolution of compassion. And that's how churches grow. That's how churches grow. It's yeah. not the only way churches grow, but if each and every person did what I just described, then, as I mentioned earlier, churches would have to, they would have to fight not to grow. Hmm. Well, thank you for for sharing that with us, and I I wish I had uh, time to just talk about a myriad more of things because in in the book and and even getting to hear you talk online in some of your messages, I know that you're all about the church being on the front lines with things like adoption and the mental health crisis and other national issues. And but since we're we're running a little bit low on time today, again, I want to refer people to the book. But there's one question that I'd really love to get your insight on because I know this is sort of a, a hot potato uh, topic that a lot of churches are struggling uh, to, to deal with right now, simply because it's become so politicized and, and everybody is just so up in arms on one side or the other. I'd love to know, what do you see as the church's role in issues, for instance, like immigration and the refugee crisis that we're seeing? Well, that would that would take a couple shows just to oh. focus on that. <laughs> sure, uh, it's huge. I know it's huge. I I would just say this: that do your own homework. Yeah, uh, I have spent uh, a lot of time with the Syrian refugees, hmm. and the fact is, the millions of refugees that are in these camps, like in Lebanon and in Jordan, and the many refugees that are now infiltrated into communities in like Ankara, Turkey. They're not terrorists. They're running from terrorists. Mm. Over 80% are women and children that have lost their husbands to ISIS. And this is the greatest opportunity in our lifetime and perhaps in history for the church to show the Muslim people a brand of Jesus that is about love, uh, that is about truly caring for them and their families. Hmm. These people are from places that have been closed to the gospel, and now they're in no man's land. And this is the opportunity for us to be there, uh, to show them love, but to help them in a very tangible way with food, clothing, uh, even bedding. Most have been living you know, on the ground for seven or eight years, and, and it's tragic. And as it relates to the the U.S., you know, obviously it's very complicated. But let me just put it this way. Uh, first of all, we do need to be a nation of laws and borders. And I can't think of anybody that does not agree with that. Mm -hmm. The fact is I've worked in many of these Central uh, American countries. The reason... The reason why people want to risk their lives and the lives of their kids is because we do have laws. Hmm. 
It's because we do have laws, because we do have safety. We do have borders. And so we have to sustain that. But at the same time, uh, we are helping these families, you know, along the border. And not only there, but also working with great organizations like Child Hope. I'm on the board of Child Hope Network. Incredible. These schools that are all throughout Central and South America that are helping these children and their families Mm -hmm. so that they uh, are strong enough to stay where they're at. And so that there isn't this, this, uh, this risk, you know, of their lives and their kids, you know, to, to get to America. So we're helping them where they're at. And obviously there's, a lot more we can discuss about this issue, but at, at this point, I would say that's probably my short, simple response. Well, I appreciate that so much. Thank you for taking time to address that this morning. And I know it's like trying to uh, have you fit that. As you said, we could do a lot of shows on that topic because there really is a lot of uh, nuance to that. But I am grateful to, to, to hear your voice and, and your thoughts about it. I know that um, just a few years ago, I, with the help of Nazarene Compassionate Ministries International, uh, I released a song and a music video that contained uh, a lot of footage of Syrian refugees, and I have some friends that were there and, and took video on the front lines, and so uh, we, we turned it into a music video, and the, and the psalm is uh, is from Psalm 130, Out of the Depths, Lord, Hear My Cry, you know, and uh, I, I was uh, thinking this will be a great tool that that can be used we can kind of show some real faces and there's lots of children in it and i was i was always appalled uh, as as soon as the video came out i started seeing comments show up that i had to start deleting like um you know calling them names and terrorists and uh you know just just awful things and it was church people who were writing these things and i thought this is something is really wrong when the church can't see these human beings and uh, and the opportunity for the gospel that really truly is there in parts of the world where we haven't been able to bring it to before so i i really appreciate you taking some some time to address that this morning and i think uh, we the the father's heart is broken again and again uh when when we aren't able to be people of compassion in those situations as well well, I, I want to let all of our listeners know one more time that the book that has recently released is called City Serve, Your Guide to Church-Based Compassion. And it was uh, co-written by my guest today, Dave Donaldson and Wendell Vinson, also uh, helped to write the book. And there's several other contributors to the book as well. Uh, in the time that we have left, what's the best way, other than them getting the book, where can people go to find out more about you uh, online? Well, thanks for asking, uh, Rick. It's simply cityserve.us, cityserve.us, and you can also purchase the book uh, through there, Amazon, uh, or cityservebook.com. Great. All right. And again, we will have links uh, on our show notes at voicesinmyheadpodcast.com as well. So uh, you can go there and, and with a simple click, it will take you to these sites and take you to the book. And uh, I, I really appreciate you taking some time and I appreciate the ministry that you have, Dave. It's uh, been a real pleasure getting to speak with you today. And I hope that we can do it again sometime in the future. 
My pleasure. Thanks so much, Rick. God bless. Sure thing. And as I say to all my guests at the end of our show, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thank you for joining me here this week on Voices in My Head. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleejames.com where you can find out more about me, get my music on vinyl and CD, follow my blog, and even schedule me for a concert or a speaking engagement. Better yet, even a book signing in your neighborhood. You can find all that and more at rickleejames.com. Also, it would mean a great deal to me if you could write a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast will be online. And now, for the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you, and thank you for listening to Voices in My Head.